Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage, and practice self-care, and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power, and this allows us to impact, serve, and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with Doug Bobst. Doug is an award-winning personal trainer, author, speaker, and podcast host. Those credentials and accolades are a result of his own transformation, which he shares so openly with us today on the show. He is a former felon and drug addict sentenced to months in jail due to being found guilty of possession with intent to sell. He chose to use his time locked in that small cell to beat his demons and reinvent himself thanks to a combination of faith, family, and fitness. He has helped hundreds of people improve their health and wellness. Three books, he has written three books, and these are a reflection of his own personal story. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. He is also the host of the Adversity Advantage podcast, where he interviews people from all walks of life on how they have turned their trials into triumphs and the exact tips, methods, and tactics that they use to create the results in their life. Doug has been featured in many different, different publications and news media and podcasts, and I am so grateful to have him on this show today, sharing his story, the lessons that he learned, how he really embraced vulnerability, ownership, what it means to him, what adversity means to him, and how he talks about stacking your habits in order to create the life that you want. It's not magic. It's the daily consistent stacking of habits that make a difference in all of our lives. I absolutely love this episode. I know there are going to be so many takeaways for you as you tune into. Welcome to the show today, Doug. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Marsha, it's great to finally chat with you. I know we've been kind of trying to set this thing up here for a few months now, and I'm, I'm so thankful we're, we're able to do it. Absolutely. We've had many, many chats on um, DMs and Instagram, so this is awesome. This is awesome in person on Zoom. Where are you from? Where are you from? <laughs> I'm born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. That's where I live now. I live about 15, 20 minutes north of the city. Okay. And it's funny. I have just so many people that we know or that are in our industry or my friends have had experiences living different places. And I have never had that. I mean, I've certainly (laughs) traveled across the country for things, but I haven't left within a 15, 20 mile radius of where I live now. As a matter of fact, where I live currently is like five or six streets up from where my mom lived when I grew up. So it's really, yeah. I, you know what though, in all fairness, I'm like literally an hour away from where I grew up. So it's like really relatively the same thing. It's, we just haven't really, we haven't really gone anywhere else. This is pretty much where we've landed. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think the th- important thing for, for me to remember is that things take time. And I think right now, you know, I've had a, my whole life here, family, work, just mm-hmm. you know, as my, my story as well, I'm sure we'll get into other things that have tied me down here. 
And it's just been about patience. I've never been the one that's good. I mean, especially as of late to make super impulsive decisions and just move somewhere just to do it. It's more like, okay, is the timing right? Am I taking mm-hmm. a calculated risk? Is Am I really doing this for the right reasons? Not just to join a crowd. Like what's the reason behind wanting to move or wanting to get out of here? So. Yeah, so asking different questions, like just really kind of getting into different questions. That's, that's really relevant. That's awesome. Do you have a book that has been an impact on you, has had an impact on you? Oh, there's been so many, Marsha, but if I, I guess if I had to guess, I mean, just one, the simple one is The Four Agreements by Don mm-hmm. Miguel Ruiz. You know, being pe- be impeccable with your word. Don't t- take anything personally. Always do your best and never make assumptions. I feel like no matter if you've read the book or not, if you could just take those four statements in the simplest form and apply it to your life right now and do your absolute best to stick to those, you know, throughout the course of your life, you'll, I think you'll guarantee yourself to be happier, more fulfilled, positive, a better person. I mean, I, I really don't think you can go wrong. Another one that sticks out to me though, is, is John Gordon's book, the energy bus. I love all his books and he's a incredible human being. But the energy bus is something that everybody should read, especially during times like we're going through right now, because your energy and how you treat yourself, how you treat other people has a greater impact than you that you might think, right? And I think you have two choices when it comes to your energy. You can either be that person that's giving off positivity, or you can be that person that's bringing down the weight of the room. And I want to kind of put a bow on what I just said by saying not every situation we're going to be in is, is positive, right? I I, I talk about this a lot. Having to lose 150 pounds is not positive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Being addicted to drugs is not something that's positive. Being in debt 50 grand is not positive, but the way you go about changing those, you have to be positive in your mindset and your energy towards moving towards those goals. Right. You have to be. Now, what a great way to phrase that. That I love that you just the way that you just phrase that. Just enough of a shift, right, for you to see it differently. It's not positive, but you have to believe where you're going, and what you're doing with that that can be positive. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of toxic positivity going around these days, where everything is positive. My life's perfect. My highlight reels on Instagram. I'm so happy. I have this car. I have this. I have that. And in reality people are hiding behind that toxic mm-hmm. positivity that they portray online or even within their, their circles that they run around in. And I think it's not only doing the people around them a disservice because now these people are comparing their life to something that's not real. They're also having to work extremely hard to live up to this lie. They're telling the world that their life is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a lot so, of energy to light. Yeah. But while that's being, and while that's being, while that I'm saying that, I also want to say, like I said before, when you're trying to achieve any goal, if you tell yourself that you, you're not going to be able to do it, we've heard this a million times. If you tell yourself that you'll never get to that point, you'll never make that money, you'll never make, meet that girl or whatever the case may be, you won't mm-hmm. because your thoughts will become your words. Your words will become, in the way, become the way you act on a daily basis and the way you act on a daily basis over time is going to develop into the person that you become. And then you're going to be a cynical, negative, pessimistic person that no one wants to be around. And I cannot emphasize enough the importance, you talk about choices on this podcast, of making that choice and that commitment to yourself to not be perfect, but to do your absolute best no matter what, to maintain positive energy, positive encouragement within yourself 
no matter what you're going through in life. And I think the, the other thing you have to do is, is when you're doing well and things are going quote unquote perfect, it seems to kind of keep that, that positive energy, um, more streamlined and not get too, too hyper positive about what's going right in your life, because then you'll end up getting sidetracked and losing sight of other things in your life. Right. We've seen that. We've seen it countless times. People make a ton of money. They win the lottery and life's great. And then they, they end up neglecting other parts of their life that seem to fall by the wayside that ends up catching up with them you know, later on in their life. So, I mean, I know I kind of went off on a little tangent, but we started talking about energy and I think, I think it's, I think it's really relevant though. I love that you said that. And I think, I think I've heard Lori Harder say it and it's that your highs aren't too high and your lows aren't too low. And it's finding that like, because so if some things, if things aren't going well, it's not, we're not going to be here forever. So, and if it's not going, like if it's going amazing, it's now you're not, it's not that you're not immune to things that might go wrong. You also have to find that ground in between. Yeah, I think we, we, there's a few dances in life, right? I think one is the, the dance between fear and faith, right? Like the dance of- Who's one? You know, yeah, you, ha- you jumping and, and running towards things that scare you in order to get what you want, but you have to dance, have that dance and win that dance with your faith. And I'm not talking about religious faith. I'm just saying believing in the mm-hmm. things that you can't see, whether that is success financially, professionally, personally, spiritually, whatever the case may be. And being able to let that dance of faith outweigh the dance of fear, right? And then the other dance I believe that we face is how we manage the highs and lows in life, right? Because I said it's it's easy when we're low to stay in that rut and let a bad hour turn into a bad day. And a bad day becomes a bad few days and so on and so forth. And you look back and you're like, holy crap, why two months from now my life feels like it's in shambles? What happened? Well, I got that bad call from my boss that one day. I had a fight with my spouse, whatever the case may be, and you get down this rabbit hole. In the same case is on the flip side, if you if something really positive happens in your life, you end up slacking off in your fitness, you end up slacking off your finances, mm-hmm. you end up slacking off in a relationship because you're like, wow, like I've been doing really good for a day. Maybe I can coast and take a break, right? Maybe I can go out and celebrate and have a few drinks and all of a sudden your addiction creeps back in. So if we can manage those few dances in life and not that things are going to be balanced because I don't believe in balance or I don't think life's ever going to be streamlined, but managing your energy, managing your choices, managing your decisions through those peaks and valleys of our lives, you'll win long-term. Yeah. You'll win the long game. I love that. Absolutely love exactly what you said there. Do you have, and you might already have already said it. Do you have a mantra or a quote, something that grounds you and really describes who you are as a person? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I don't know if it's changed through the years. There's, there's certainly several that have that come to mind. I would say the one that sticks out to me now, because I think it's, it's not only relevant to myself, but I think it's relevant a lot to people who are listening to this and people that are just struggling right now is to focus on how far you've come and how far you have to go. It's easy to think about the things we haven't accomplished. It's easy to think about the money we haven't made. It's easy to think about, you know, the weight we haven't lost or, the days of sobriety or recovery we don't have the hard part is is really looking at yourself in the mirror and saying you know what like i am happy with who i am today i'm still going to continue to grow and with that i'm going to think about all the great things that i have come uh, that i have done this far the weight that i have lost the mileage in my running that i have been able to do the weight i've been able to lift the amount of money that i've made after being broke the relationships i've been able to cultivate after ruining so many and people neglect that because we're so caught up 
in the future. The more, more, I want more of this. I want more of that. I want more of this, that we forget to stay in the present moment and practice gratitude. And, and, and on that, on that subject of gratitude, I don't think it's enough just to write down one thing you're grateful for anymore. I used to say that I used to tell people like, Coach myself, and I don't believe it. <laughs> you know, Go ahead, I so did I. You, you, yes. you really have to. You have to embrace it. Like it's like a, it's like a lifestyle. You mm-hmm. the gratitude is a lifestyle. It's not mm-hmm. just a check the box. Just like going to church. If you're, I don't care what religion you are, but you can't just go to church on Sundays and be like, yep, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm good for some more days. Right. Exactly. It's like you have to write down whatever it is you're grateful for. I mean, I've increased mine now from like one to three to five these days, mm-hmm. but you have to actually embrace it. You mm-hmm. have to really get in that. Feel it. Yeah. You have to feel it and you have to have some sort of emotional attachment to it. Why are you grateful for whatever that thing is? Like, what about that makes it special in your life? And then as you're going throughout your day, if you really want to one up this thing, which you do is you rewire yourself neurologically and in your patterning, when things happen throughout your day to really stay in that moment of gratitude. Like if somebody cuts you off, thank goodness I have a car to drive that I get to drive a car that that I didn't get into a car accident, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Because now you're changing your state and you're focusing on the things that you do have in your life and the privileges that you are able to, to live daily instead of focusing on the bad thing that happened. And that's why I say it's all about energy and it becomes a habit. It's not easy. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of work, but people always want to, they always look at the people who are hyper successful in life. They're like, I want to be like this. I want to be like people like that who get into that realm. They don't let bad things you know, bring them down for more than a few minutes. And it takes time and practice and humility because we all want to jump from our, we all want to write the intro to our story and get immediately to chapter 25. Whether not, no matter what the story is we're writing, whether we're writing the book of starting a podcast, whether we're writing the book of our fitness journey, whether we're writing the book of a relationship, we all want to do it. And social mm-hmm. media has made it that much that much worse because now we're able to scroll on our phones and get this immediate and instant um, data on how people are living their life, how many followers somebody has, how many downloads somebody's getting on their podcast, how many people somebody's dating, whatever the case may be. And then it comes back to us. And then all of a sudden we're running these graphs in our mind. Like, okay, I'm here. They're there. I'm here. They're there. It's this constant drive, thing, we, isn't it? It's, we, it we is. We drive ourselves crazy. Yeah. And, and that's why I love the name of your podcast about owning your choices, because most of that, if not all of that, we have no control over Mm-mm. what we do have control over is our own choices, how we spend our day. Mm-hmm. Are we exercising? Are we surrounding ourselves with people that really challenge us to be our best? And not just people that are like, oh, good job, Doug. Good job, Doug. Like, Doug, you're not doing a good job. You're slacking off in your health and fitness journey. Like, Doug, you shouldn't have said that. Like, really, people who are actually holding you accountable and checking you and holding mm-hmm. you to a higher standard. How are you spiritually? Like, where are you? Are you grateful? Are you pessimistic? What's your attitude like in this time? Because <laughs> right now, like, we are in a negative time in the world. Oh, it's everywhere. Anybody who says this is, this is really positive, what we're going through is full of shit. I'm sorry. That no, you're allowed to swear. That's absolutely. Okay. I'm sorry. They're full of shit. There's nothing, there's nothing positive. I mean, yes, you can see, find the silver lining in, in a lot of what we're going on, yep. what's going on. Mm-hmm. But collectively as a society, I would argue for most people, this is the most stressful time that anyone's ever lived through. 
Mm-hmm. The most stressful time I've ever lived to, through personally. And this is this goes even back as well, I'm sure we'll get into my time in jail. This is more stressful. I'm, I'm handling it better than a lot of people because I'm used to the isolation. But there's a lot of unknowns here. I knew mm-hmm. what was coming in jail. I knew my sentence was going to be over. I knew when my probation would be up. Oh. I knew that if I followed these rules, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go back. But now there's so much unknown. Wow. You what a, Oh, that's such a valid point that you're saying right now. And to be able to look at it and compare it to a time when you were in jail and say, this is actually more stressful in, in a lot of ways because there is a lot of unknown. And... I'm not even going to open up that can of worms, but with, but with, there well, I mean, is- I will say, I will say right now though, that I think, I mean, getting back to what I was going to finish off with my point and then I'll let you kind of take over is that, but we do have a choice in how we're going to go about our day mm-hmm. throughout this negative situation, which is yeah. why I brought up the energy bus book, which is why I brought up the power of owning our own energy. There's not, a, there's a lot we can't control right now. There's a lot that there is a lot to be fearful of in some ways. I mean, like we're seeing the world change completely as we know it. 100%. Whether you, yep. whether you, I'm not talking whether you agree or disagree with what's going on. It's just a fact. No. Things are changing. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. rapidly. And yes. I think it's, it's now more than ever, we need to be taking control of things like our health, our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, our spiritual health. We need to be doing everything we can to protect our immune system, right? Mm -hmm. Because whether you believe in COVID or not, I mean, I I don't want to talk about that, but that aside, the amount of stress that's going on in the world is going to impact your immune system. Yes. So you have to do the necessary things. You also have control on how much time you spend watching the news. I mean, I've been telling a lot of the people that I coach or talk to, stay off the news as much as you can. If 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 the president's speaking or your local governor where there's something that you have to watch to figure out if something in your immediate life is going to change, it's going to be impacted. You can't travel here. You have to shut your business down, whatever yes. the case may be. By all means, stay informed, mm-hmm. but also take a step back and say, okay, I can't control the decisions that these politicians are making. I can't control the COVID numbers. I can't control any of that. What I can control is how I take care of myself, my family, my attitude, what I'm contributing to the world. And instead of watching the news, spend that time. Instead of, because you know, a lot of people, they're like, all right, well, I'm not going to watch the news. What do I do? Well, still pay attention to some sense of media and technology, but use it to better yourself. Listen to podcasts. And it doesn't have to be personal development podcasts. Listen to a podcast that interests you. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a no- like one that you're listening to a novel. Or maybe it's a, I know a lot of people like these true crime ones or yeah. shows. Whatever the case may be, that's like taking your mind off of what's going on in the world right now. And then also take that time, maybe listen to an audiobook, maybe journal, maybe write down your goals for 2021. I was just on the news yesterday. And one of the tips I gave to people, I mean, this is, I gave this tip for people who are struggling with addiction right now, but it applies to everyone is as we're going into 2021, we can all agree that 2020 was a very rough year, mm-hmm. right? But yes. we can either look at it to one or two ways. We can say this, this year sucked. Next year is going to be worse. And the year after that's going to be even worse. And what kind of mindset will we start to adapt? What kind of habits will we start to engage in? What kind of things will we start to tell ourselves on a daily basis? Or we can say, you know what? 2020 was, was, was rough. It was very stressful. But what are the lessons I gained from that? Maybe I have to take better care of my health. Maybe I let some relationships 
go that I didn't want to because I was so focused on X, Y, and Z. Maybe I've learned that I need to not watch the news so much and really start to do my own research and craft my own ideas and beliefs about what's going on in the world. Maybe I need to practice more compassion and then set goals for 2021 based on that. Right. Because when we give ourselves something to look forward to in the future, some sort of target, and we set and achieve those on a timely basis, we're going to improve the way we feel about ourselves, thus improving our energy and our ability to move throughout this world in a productive and healthy manner. Oh, there's like I could end it right there. That's so powerful what you just said. I love it. Thank you so much. Because I was yeah. actually writing something this morning for an upcoming podcast on my yeah. lessons from yeah. 2020. And it's just, it's so much more important, I think, to just look at where you've come from than to just shoot a goal. And it's just see, because we've got you right. We have to reflect on how far we've come. So speaking of that, you have come a long ways. I love, I would love for you to share parts of your story so that we can see how far you've come from and what you're doing with your story now. Yeah, I, I, so today, you know, just to give the audience some context, you know, on top of the intro, what, what have you, I host the Adversity Advantage podcast where I interview people from all walks of life on different trials. They turn into triumphs. I also bring on different experts. Um, from different fields to give people real-time advice on how they can navigate through hard times. I've written three books. I've been featured on many major media outlets, including the Today Show and in Men's Health, on different podcasts like Impact Theory of Tom Bilyeu and Rich Roll's podcast and many others. And on top of that, I've been a personal trainer for almost a decade now. And But I want to say it wasn't long ago that my life was in shambles. And when I say not long ago, I mean 10 years, which to a lot of people, 10 years flies by, right? And 10 years ago, um, well, I mean, it's been a little over over 10 years. Back in 2008, I was incarcerated on felony drug charges. I was hopeless. I was suicidal. And I thought my life was over. And just to give the audience some context on how I got there before, and then I'll get into how I transformed from that point to where I am now. As I look back, Marsha, like when I entered jail, I had a three, 400 milligram a day Oxycontin habit. Mm-hmm. And up until that, probably from the age, I mean, I was like 21 when I went to jail. So from the age of 14 to 21, I was doing whatever I could to escape my life. Yeah. You know, you see, cause I was, I was numbing my numbing pain and battling all kinds of insecurities in the most unhealthy ways possible. I was actually using adversity to my disadvantage. I love, I heard you say that before and I loved those words. And I think that that's, I, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. And like I said, I had all these insecurities and my, my insecurities mm-hmm. for me, what I'm talking about is my parents were divorced when I was five. Mm-hmm. So this is almost 30 years ago. I was like the only kid in my friend group whose parents were split. So I was starting to ask myself questions like what's wrong with me? Why am I different? Right. Mm-hmm. I was also the kid who loved sports, loved playing sports, loved watching sports. Problem was I was as unathletic as they come couldn't run, couldn't jump, had no balance, was always picked last, didn't make the travel teams, more insecurities. Yeah, What's wrong just, with me? Yeah. And it just, and it just, it starts to stack is. itself. Right. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I start to like, I guess, subconsciously numb my um, pain or whatever I was going through as a kid with some food. Mm-hmm. And as I look back, you know, I was, I wasn't eating that much more than, than, um, my friends, but I was still eating a bit more of excess in food. I was eating cinnamon buns, pasta every night, sausage and bacon for breakfast, like just the unhealth, most unhealthy processed junk food you can imagine when I was a kid and started to gain weight at a young age. So I started getting a little pudgy when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. 
and suffered all kinds of abuse growing up. I was bullied in school, was picked on. I was told that I looked like I had Down syndrome when I was in grade oh, school. Never had a girlfriend. Kids are awful. Oh, oh. And and so the first opportunity to really escape myself, I took, and that was when I was offered to hit up a marijuana pipe when I was fourteen years old. Now I want to remind your audience. When I was 14, I never thought in a million years that I would land in jail after taking that first hit. Nobody does. No, was, nobody plans that, right? No. That's not nobody plans that, yes. Nobody, nobody raises their hand when they're that age and says, you know what? I want to be a drug addict when I grow up. I want to be a drug dealer. I want to be in jail when I'm 21. But life happens, and some of us, based on our wiring, trauma, pain, biology, you, name, well, you call it whatever you call it, whatever you will, we go down that hole. Because you're constantly trying to chase your tail once your own tail, once you get that first hit. So when I took that first hit, I felt this monkey come off my back. I felt all my pain was gone. All my fears were, were numb. I didn't mm-hmm. have to worry if I was going to get married. I didn't have to worry if I was ever going to be good at sports. I didn't have to worry what kind of grades I was, I was going to get. I didn't have to worry if my parents were going to ever get back together. All these thoughts and fears and insecurities that were going through my mind were now vanished. Mm. And... And it, it was a recipe for disaster for me, given my circumstances. So one hit leads to two, leads to three. I'm smoking every day. I'm having to sell a little bit to support my habit. And as you can imagine, as those who are listening to this, maybe you have kids or maybe you've experienced addiction yourself, you know that when you start to go down this, this road, it gets into the way of your interpersonal relationships. And it started really affecting the relationship, specifically with my mom. And my mom, you know, really took the divorce pretty, pretty hard, which I mean, yeah. rightfully so, because my dad remarried very fast. And I mean, it's a whole other, whole other story. Yeah. But so there was tension between my mom and I, she knew I was getting high. She knew what I was doing. I was acting out. I wasn't fulfilling my role as the son she needed me to be. And she ended up kicking me out of her house when I was 16. And I felt so betrayed in that moment because... My dad and I had a strained relationship growing up and she knew that. And Mm -hmm. I took it so personally, even though I made the choices to continue to get high and not say, mom, I'm freaking struggling. Mom, I, there's moments I don't want to live anymore. Right. Both backs get up, right. Both she's trying to, trying to fix or, or, or help you or whatever way or change. Yeah. And every defensiveness comes in and yeah, that's Well, tough. I think also back then, like I'm talking 20 years ago, yeah, pot was way more stigmatized than it is today. It's heck, it's legal. Yeah. Mostly everywhere right now. Yeah. For, for, for a lot of things. And, and so, you know, I get kicked out of her house, shipped to my dad's house to live with him full time. And then sh- I changed schools immediately. That next day I started in a completely different high school. Mm-hmm. And they thought that it would force me to, to adapt new good friends. But really, I had more trauma, more pain. So I just kept on that rabbit hole of addiction, continued to smoke weed every day at my new school, found new friends to get high with, maintained my old relationships. But now I had a habit. Now I was smoking a good amount of pot every day because mm-hmm. what happens is, like I said, you're chasing your, ta- your own tail. You're chasing that original feeling of numbing the pain. And the more you smoke, you develop this thing called a tolerance where you go to tolerance and you have to smoke more and more to get that same feeling. And uh, I barely graduate high school because all my friends and I would do is we would ride around and smoke weed, just skip class. 
And as I graduated high school, I decided that I was going to start selling pot to, to make a living. Mm-hmm. And as I look back, Marsha, now at why I did it, I always, I felt like I had this hole inside of me of being needed and wanted. Like I felt cool that people needed me when my phone would be blowing up. So I that felt filled loved. that. Like people like needed me. That filled that void of, yep. of yearning for love from either whether it was my parents or not having a girlfriend or authentic It didn't matter where it came from. Right. That people were mm. blowing my, and I would almost brag like, wow, I have like 200 missed calls or whatever it was because I was, I ended up being the guy that people would buy weed from. Mm-hmm. And I was selling probably, I mean, as I look back, several pounds of pot a week making a bunch of money. But yep. the the problem with that was my profits started going up my nose. I started experimenting with things like cocaine. Mm-hmm. And then my addictive personality loves cocaine. And one line of coke turned into me doing an eight ball a day. And that coupled with the fact that I was going down a path that I knew I shouldn't be going down and that I was smoking also a quarter ounce of pot a day, I started developing massive anxiety. And I heard so, you say something about anxiety and cocaine, how they are not. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I had, I had a little bit of anxiety going through high school. It's just something I always kind of struggle with. And I don't know where it kind of came from genetics from my childhood, but, but then when I started smoking Coke or snorting Coke, you know, snorting Coke and anxiety, I, I've said, go about as well together. As someone trying to lose weight and eating pizza every day it just does not it just work. Happen. Mm-hmm. Right. It just doesn't work. Or, or somebody you know, trying to get out of debt and maxing it, continuing to max out credit card shopping. It just doesn't work. No. I'm not going to get out no. of debt maxing out credit card shopping on stuff you don't need. So, no. no. Right. And when, one night, I I started to experience uh, massive chest pains and my heart started racing. My face was numb because I was, I was high on Coke and pot. And I thought I was having a heart attack. I ended up getting, I ended up getting rushed to the emergency room. I walk into the ER. I started screaming, help, I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. And they were like, sir, calm down. Like, sit down. You're just, you're fine. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, because of my situation and because of my current health, and I was also smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. I, and, I, and at this point, I'd also buried several of my friends. So up in, like, in my mind, I was like, well, it's possible that I'm going to die. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't the uh, the poster child for health at this point. And then they take me back. They end up telling me that I had a panic attack, which kind of made sense as you think about it. But back then, again, this is 20 years ago, mental health wasn't talked about like it not is Not at all. No, and not at all. And I felt a lot of shame around the fact that I was having a panic attack. So I couldn't, because of what the anxiety and the panic did to me, a lot of people don't know this, but when you have a panic attack the fear is that your biggest anxiety and fear is about when you're going to have another panic attack again. It's not the panic attack itself. It's like, I have a fear of having another one again. It's almost like a phobia. Mm -hmm. So I feared that because I got my panic attack when I was high, that whenever I got high again, that I would have another continue to have more panic attacks, which I did. And it got to the point where my friends were having to drive my car around when I was high because I just couldn't gather myself and maintain composure. And so in this moment, you think I would make a good choice and say, you know what, Doug, your life isn't going very good right now. You're in the emergency room for panic attacks. You're addicted to Coke. You're selling pot. Why don't we maybe change your friends, find some other ways to numb your pain and manage your emotions and just take a step in the other direction? And I was like, nah, I got to do yeah. whatever I need to do to, to, to manage this <laughs> yeah. lifestyle. 
I, I can't give up my <laughs> friends because that's one of the hardest things with beating addiction and getting into recovery or making any kind of transition where you're, you're trying to make a pivot from, from the old you to a new version of yourself is letting go of the people that you used to surround yourself with. Because as humans, we feel this sense of codependency, loyalty, and fear of, well, wow, I've hung out with Johnny or Mary since I was five years old. I owe, my, I owe the rest of my life to them. <laughs> no, but yes, or, that's what we or do. What are the, or what are they going to say about me? If I leave, are they going to call me, you know, a wuss? Are they going to say I'm weak? Or what What are they going to say about me? Mm-hmm. When in reality, I think what happens is the people that are talking smack to you are the people that wish they were making that choice. Because like I said, no one wants to be that person who's addicted to drugs or selling drugs or potentially going to be on their deathbed or going to jail when they're in their teens and 20s, right? Mm-hmm. So again, just backtrack. I So I didn't make the choice. I end up. Uh, getting offered a five milligram Percocet and that same monkey that came off my back when I first uh, started getting high came off my back again when I tried that five milligram Percocet. And the more important thing was I didn't have anxiety when I was doing that or getting high with my friends anymore. So I could continue that same lifestyle of riding around with them, smoking weed. But the only caveat was I had to also be high on painkillers too. Mm -hmm. So that was what brought me to my knees. And again, my choice, I honestly didn't think that painkillers were as addictive as they were. I mean, to, to be honest, I was like, well, I'm not doing heroin, so it's okay. I also knew I wasn't putting spinach or kale into my system. So, you know, I was putting a substance in my nose. It's not like I was <laughs> making a, a smoothie that was full of uh, vitamins and minerals. No, <laughs> right? it's okay. No, but I know what you mean. Yes, I know what you mean. I, right. So the five milligrams turned to 10, turned to 20, turns to 40. And like I said, it got to the point where I couldn't get out of bed without snorting a few hundred milligrams of oxy. I was spending hundreds of dollars a day on it. Um, it got so bad where I was so constipated. I didn't go to the bathroom for a month. Half my left nostril was missing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And everything came to a head for me. And what ended up, what I thought in that moment was the worst day of my life became my greatest blessing my greatest blessing. And I was riding around with a few of my friends to go make a drug deal on Cinco de Mayo of 2008, had a half pound of pot in my car, $2,000 in cash. And clearly I wasn't using my common sense that, uh, that was the, I was driving around with that on the, one of the biggest drinking nights of the year, Cinco de Mayo. And a cop is running radar and I flashed my high beams at him because I had a busted headlight that I've been meaning to fix for months and months. But you know, when you're addicted to drugs and selling drugs, the only thing you care about, the only thing that's on the forefront of your mind is how you're going to get high, who you're getting high with, uh, you know, money for the drugs. next, yeah, who you're selling to, and then it's on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so I flashed my high beams at him thinking that would hide the fact that uh, I had a busted headlight. Well, really, it gave him a reason to pull me over because it's also a sign when you're flashing or you're high beaming someone that's a cop's running radars. So, yeah. I get pulled over. Um, you know, one thing leads to the next. He and I think subconsciously, Marsha, I wanted to get caught again because I didn't get the busted headlight. I was going to ask you that changed. question, actually. Yeah, I, I didn't get the busted headlight changed. I didn't. I rode around with copious amounts of drugs and money in my car on one of the biggest drinking nights of the year, where people mm-hmm. would be running radar. And when he pulled me over, he he suspected. Um, suspicious activity and asked me to search the car. And I said, yes, go ahead. Which is like the cardinal sin of like, you don't ever say yes to a cop wanting to search your car when there's drugs in the car. 
No. So maybe you did, right? Maybe this is really what you wanted. Searches the car, Mm -hmm. finds the half a pound of pot, $2,000 in cash. And as people listening to this can imagine, my heart sunk into the pit of my stomach. I thought my life was over. Any dreams or goals that I did have in that moment were completely shattered and gone. And I felt every bad choice that I had made came to a to a kind of a head in that moment. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how did I get here? I don't know if anybody who's listening to this or somebody knows somebody who's gotten in the situation where they have just made a really bad choice that's gotten them in some really unfortunate mm-hmm. circumstances. And you start to think, how did I get here? How did a kid who was this this sweet kid who loved sports, who did have some goals and aspirations, who was likable and that sort of thing, how did he end up in the back of a cop car crying in handcuffs and the only thing he wants is a cigarette right now. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I thought my I thought it was over. And I ended up getting taken to the police station and charged with a felony um, possession with intent to distribute marijuana. And then, uh, which is a felony. And then he, I get taken to jail. And a few months later, I end up going to court. And the judge sentences me to five years, everything but 90 days, five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. But the judge looks at me and he says, Doug, you know, you're young, you're 20 years old. He's like, this felony conviction is going to haunt you for the rest of your life. So I'm going to give you a deal. If you complete everything without messing up, the five years probation, the 200 hours community service that he gave me, the jail sentence, everything else, no failed drug tests, no missed probation appointments, none of that. I'll take the felony conviction off your record at the end of the five years of probation. And in that moment, I didn't think I was going to live to see my 25th birthday because my track record had proven that I could not change, that I was going to be, to myself, I thought I was going to be a drug addict for the rest of my life and I was going to die being an addict. Plus, I'd, like I said, I'd buried several of my mm-hmm. friends up until that point. So I was like, you know, reality and the odds of me making it are slim to none. And when I say I buried my friends, it wasn't people that of friends of friends or people that I just saw on Facebook. These were people that I hung Close out with you. regularly. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, I'll take the deal. I leave court and go. And first thing I do is go get high and... I report the jail about a week after my 21st birthday. The judge had given me a few weeks to kind of gather my belongings, get myself squared away. And I walk through through the the gates to go into jail and I'm crying. I'm mortified. I'm scared, terrified. It's got to be scary. Of what's about to go on. Plus, I'm just so disappointed in myself because, you know, in those moments, you're not happy with who you are. People can mm-hmm. really play a good poker face and say that they're happy. They're not happy. I was miserable. I hated myself. I loathed myself. I wanted to die. There was literally moments where I would crush up lines of pills, Coke, whatever it was that night. And I would snort it. And I'd be like, man, if I snorted this would and I die, would anybody miss me? Mm-hmm. Or what would happen if I don't wake up? Like I would have these thoughts. Yeah. And people ask, well, how did it get there? You get there. Well, it just gets to the point where you continue to self-sabotage, 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 and numb pain, numb pain, numb pain, numb pain, where your self-esteem gets to like a negative 500. And you start to make decisions that are aligned with your level of self, your level of self-esteem in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's why people don't understand. Like, how are they making decisions like that? How are they doing that? Well, because, because they feel so at. bad about that's where they're at. And they, they yeah. think that that's okay based on their level of consciousness in that moment. And how they're feeling about themselves. 
I believe our external world, Marsha, is a reflection about how we feel about ourselves internally. I really 100%. do. I do 100% agree. So I walk through these, these gates and of course my family is there like more, you know, crying and scared for me, incredibly disappointed. And I detox cold turkey in there for three weeks. And for those who don't know what that feels like, it's like having the worst case of the mm-hmm. flu for several weeks, uncontrollable bowel movements, vomiting, nausea, pain, anxiety, depression, insomnia, you name it. The worst feeling though, was you feel like you're trying to crawl out of your own skin. You literally feel like there's somebody inside of you trying to escape you and they can't Mm -hmm. constantly during your withdrawal and during your detox. And my soon to be cellmate was sitting at the Scrabble table one day and I walked up and sat, sat with him. We started playing some Scrabble and he's like, what are you doing in here? I started explaining my story to him a little bit. You know, my parents got divorced was bullied in school and started smoking weed and da, 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 and here I am. And he just kind of looked at me and was like, okay. And, you know, we started exchanging stories, started developing a connection. And he was like, you're going to start working out with me, man. Like when you get through your detox. And I was like, huh? And he said, at the time I could have been a model for Pillsbury. There's no way I was going to start exercise. <laughs> it was not on the radar. <laughs> well, especially the kid who had the lowest self-esteem possible that, there was no way that I was going to have the courage to get down and, and, and try to exercise in front of a bunch of grown men that I was terrified of. Mm-hmm. And that night I saw my cellmate who was like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from fight club is kind of how I describe what oh. it. Looked like. Just to give people some context. <laughs> There's some big context. And he was doing literally thousands of pushups, hundreds of pull-ups running laps in the, in the common area of jail. And I was like, who is this guy? And to this day, he's still one of the most, if not the most fit people I've ever met. And we began to just start talking in our cell and he would continue to dig more into my story. We started to build, to build more of an emotional connection. And that's kind of how you get some, somebody to, to change. If you're coaching someone is you start to develop an, an emotional attachment or connection first. So they kind of feel like they can relate to you in some way. And then the change happens and they feel comfortable. They feel mm-hmm. safe. And they're like, wow, this person cares about me. But this is what changed my life right here. And I want to, I want to explain this in a way. And when I, when I, I want to explain this in a way that was real to me when I was in jail, but I also want to say it's not the words that are important. It's, it's what it meant. So, like I said, I was complaining and blaming everybody for my choices, blaming my parents, blaming the people in school, blaming my friends, blaming this blaming that and my cellmate looked at me and he said quit being a bitch and i said like what because you know listen where i come from and even in jail being called a bitch is nothing that's good it's not good (laughs) no and i'm like and i was like what do you mean he's like you're bitching about your problems man he's like you're blaming everybody but yourself he was like did somebody like hold something to like hold a knife and he was like pretty much just trying to tell me did somebody hold a gun to you and force you to use drugs and i'm like no did somebody force you to sell drugs did somebody force you to respond the way you did somebody force you to eat those cheesesteaks and i'm like no no he's like yeah you got yourself here he's like so many people go through hard times so many people's parents get divorced they get abused they get picked on they get bullied they don't have a girlfriend whatever it is but they're not here you are here what are you going to do about it? He's like, you have two choices. He's like, you man up, be a man, 
own your choices, take responsibility for yourself and just know that if anyone's going to change, it's going to be up to you. Your family's not going to change or your friends. You got to do it yourself or you can be a bitch. Go cry in the corner, say, woe is me, blame everybody from your problems. He's like, most people will do that. And again, this is back in 2008. I'm in jail when he says this to me. And it's not the man versus bitch that I think is important. What's important is you have a choice in life. You can take ownership and full responsibility for every single decision you make. Or you can blame others. And to me, when I finally, I finally had my head above water, that I was completely uh, detoxed from the drugs. I was finally able to think a little bit clearly. And I was like, huh. So I acted this way, played the victim, and blamed people for my problems, didn't take ownership for myself. And I ended up becoming addicted to, dr- addicted to drugs, selling drugs, had 20 jobs by the time I was 21 years old. I'm in jail. I'm a felon. Like, huh. This is how that worked out. Let me just try this way. I'm like, maybe he's right. And I think in those moments, Marsha, and in any moment where you get like the quote unquote tough love like Mm -hmm. that, you didn't get what you wanted to hear most, but you got what you needed to hear most in that moment. Isn't that, that's so good. That's so good. What you just said. It's so good. And so I was like, gosh, man, this guy's right. So I was like, maybe I will give this exercise a try. So he kept nudging me and nudging me and uh, got down to do a push-up. Couldn't do a push-up. Could barely do one for my knees. Could barely walk. And with his motivation and encouragement in there, training me in there every single day, holding me accountable, we set some goals too. We set a goal to be able to do 10 push-ups and run a mile by the time I left my jail sentence. And I was able to do it with him staying on top of me and just being there for me. And I felt this light bulb go off in my head that I never that never went off before that I was actually going to make it. I was going to beat addiction. I was going to change my life. I was going to use fitness as the catalyst to do all this. Now, it wasn't like, I always tell people, it wasn't, I don't recommend people just say, if you want to beat addiction, just go do push-ups and sit-ups. Pay attention though to how that affects your mindset. Because what it does is it changes how you feel about yourself. You start to feel, you start to develop self-confidence. You start to develop things like self-esteem. Setting and achieving goals releases dopamine. Mm-hmm. Achieving the thing, doing the things and achieving the things that you know you should be doing on a daily basis to better yourself, boosts your self-confidence like crazy. I never knew that until I got into jail, right? But it, all, it also challenged me to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Fitness does that. It doesn't matter if you're in jail or not. And being in recovery, changing horrible habits and embracing new ones is scary. It's super uncomfortable. But the more you do things that challenge you to be uncomfortable in those situations, you get better at being comfortable and you're able to attack different things in life with more ease, right? Absolutely. And and so the odds were so stacked against me. So in that moment, I honestly didn't, most of me did not believe I was going to make it. Most of me doubted myself because of my track record, but I knew in order to make it, I had to have blind faith. And what I mean by that is really forcing myself to not to fake it till I make it and not fake it till, you, till I made it where I was started posing with like Lamborghinis and Ferraris, like faking no. my mindset until I made it till I actually started to believe that I was going to be able to achieve this thing I set out to, which for me was saving my life and beating addiction. And I just took it literally one day at a time. I knew that if I could just take every single day, every single moment that I had and be relentless about becoming a better version of myself, 
whether it was how I talked to myself, the people I surrounded myself with, my habits, whatever it was, I had a chance, not a guarantee, a chance to survive. And I also knew if I went down that same dark path that had led me to jail, that I was going to be dead back in jail or a combination of both. And I felt my life completely changed when I was in jail. I don't remember that guy anymore, Marsha. I feel like I left somebody else's memories behind in that cell. And I cried the day I left. And I cried. It was funny. I cried when I went in because I didn't want to go in. I cried when I left because I didn't want to leave. And I think it was a combination of a, just, I had this incredible spiritual awakening when I was in that cell. And then I also had this guy who, who unconditionally cared about me and took interest in me when he had, he had no skin. He had really had no skin in the game. He wasn't related to me. I wasn't pay, really quote unquote paying him. I mean, I would give him a little bit of commissary like food, you know, to, as a part of like our exchange, but it was more so just to, to for me on my end to know that I was having some skin in the game for myself. And I just looked, I remember looking at him and saying, man, how am I ever going to repay you? He said, just don't mess up and pay it forward. Pay it forward. And I never knew in that moment what paying it forward meant. I was like helping other people. Screw that. I was like, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's kind of like how, I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm being honest. Like, no, I love that, like, it. I love it. I love people, the honesty. But people think that when, you, when you're in that moment of transformation, that all of a sudden it's just like a light bulb goes off and you're, boom, you're a completely different person within a matter of seconds. It takes work and it's a journey. It's taken yeah. me 12, you know, over 12 years to get to where I am today. Yeah. And he gave me a workout plan that I still have framed in my place. So I never forget where I came from. Uh, and I got out and stayed on the workout plan that he gave me, lost 50 pounds, hired a trainer. And then got to a point fitness-wise where I wanted to help other people use fitness to change their lives. So that's why I became a personal trainer back in April of 2011. And I just things started to click and happen naturally. I wanted to carry the torch and pay it forward, if you will, and help my clients do the same thing that Eric had done for me in jail, which was, mm. um, which was to really... Uh, use the power of fitness to change people from the inside out. And time flew by, I built a really successful personal training business when I was younger and ended up, um, you know, building a really successful training business when I ended up building a really, sorry, ended up building a really successful personal training business and time flew by and my probation was up. And it was time for me to go back to court to reappear for the modification of my sentence. And we ended up going to court. My, one of my clients is a lawyer and we wrote a letter of modification to the judge. And we ended up going to court in January of 2014. And, um, he, the, the judge ended up taking the felony conviction off my record. It's amazing. I never, I never realized in a matter of seconds how much one's life can change right? From being shackled as a felon to now being a free man and being able to do things like vote, um, leave the country, mm-hmm. you know, buy a firearm if I wanted to, that sort of thing. I couldn't do any of that before. No. And I became really inspired to pay, to continue to pay it forward and be like, what's next? What can I do now? Well, I, I couldn't do one push up, and I was able to do 10. Well, what's next? Now I'm going to be, I became a personal trainer. What's next? Now I'm going to help other people. What's next? I'm going to get this felony off my record. And now the, the what's next was I'm going to write a book. 
So I ended up publishing my first book from Melanie. You, to you didn't just write Freeze. one, right? You written three. <laughs> no, what, is, yeah. no. what are the so, names of them again? Share, so share with everyone. From, so I wrote from felony to fitness to free back in 2014 mm-hmm. to help inspire people to make the most of their second chance, turn a negative into a positive and focus on how far they've come and not how far they have to go. And then I ended up um, writing my second book, Faith Family Fitness, which was a compilation of the top 15 lessons I had learned at I was 28 at the time that in the 28 years I had been alive um, to help people uh, believe in themselves more, cultivate, uh, cultivate spirituality in whatever way works for them, surround themselves with people to bring the best out in them and stay mentally, physically, and spiritually fit. And I believe if you can have those three F's in line, you'll live a more pro- prosperous, purposeful, and meaningful life. I wrote my third book, The Heart of Recovery, where I interviewed 50 of the most inspiring people from all walks of life on how they've gotten and stayed into recovery in whatever way works for them. Um, I be, I was voted as a fitness hero by the Baltimore sun in 2015. I've, you know, like I, like I said at the beginning, I've shared my story on, been on a mission to share my story ever since. And I've been able to share it on platforms such as in men's health, the today show on rituals, podcasts, impact theory. And then even was able to speak to the, at the time they were the defending national football, the defending college football champion, a Clemson football team last year to share my story with them as well. And this all inspired me to start my own podcast, which is what I'm doing now, the adversity advantage to pay it forward and, and interview other people on how they've beaten adversity so that we can together as a collective help people use adversity to their advantage. So for first off, thank you <laughs> so much for sharing. Like I love, I love how real you were because everyone will resonate with that. Second, um, not only do I see that you're paying it forward, but I see you paying it forward in like a massive way, which I think is just, (laughs) it's funny when that younger version of you went, pay it forward. That's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. And now I see you doing that. Um, Third, I love, I just want to share this, that when I was a parent in really in the throes of dealing with this, there came a point where I prayed that the right Mm. person would cross their path. I knew it wasn't going to be me anymore. I knew it had to be somebody else that would cross their path that would be that and that person who would maybe help them see mm. something differently, not change them. It was it was not where my brain was. It's both. And to me, that's what your cellmate did. Like that was the person, probably the right perfect storm that you were at the point in time where you're like, okay, this is not working. I don't know what I'm doing next, but I know this isn't working. And here he comes as a straight shooter and says, okay but you got yourself here. And right. maybe it's just that perfect storm that he was the right person at the right time to help you to see things differently. Who knows? But I, I'm, I mean, I'm obviously you're grateful for him and that has opened up so many other spots and things in your life just to be open to seeing what is possible. And then believing in yourself, building the self-esteem, which then builds the confidence, which then allows you to do even more, which then builds the confidence and the self-esteem. And it's a real cycle, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I believe so much in stacking days, right? And you can 100%. and you can stack them positively. You can stack them negatively. If you imagine, if you took three hours a day, just say three hours, and a lot of people do way more of this, and all you were doing is gossiping on the phone with your friends, scrolling on social media, eating junk food, lounging around watching the news. Like, where would your life be a week later? Doing that every day, two weeks later, awful. A month I can later. Feel it a year later mm-hmm. but the adverse can have if you think about the adverse situation and you stack your day and saying okay i'm gonna take those three hours and i'm gonna have i'm gonna take 30 minutes and have a positive conversation with somebody that's on the same path as me 
I'm going to take an hour. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes. I'm going to journal. I'm going to spend time prepping my food for the day so that I eat in a way that helps me become a, become healthier. And you see where I'm going with this. I'm going to set, I'm going to set a few goals and you spend those three hours then completely shifting the way you spend that. You completely shift the way you spend that time. And imagine stacking that two days later, three days later, a week later, a month, a year. And that's what happened with me. As I look back, my, one of the biggest pieces of advice I have for people is to do the little things every single day to stack your days, right? Because so many people, they look so far ahead and they try to plan out what they're doing 10 to 15 years from now, which I think is great. I think you should have goals that set that far out in the future, but there's not one person that accomplishes those goals without doing the necessary things daily to get there. And so think about, okay, you have those 10 year goals, break it down. If if you have a 10 year goal of X, Y, and Z, what do you have to accomplish each year to get there Mm -hmm. each month, each week, each day? Right. And then I think when you just focus on the small wins and celebrate those, like again, focus on how far you've come and how far you have to go. It keeps your mindset positive about where you're going. Mm -hmm. So like I said, it was just a matter of just continuing to stack the what's next for me. It was the, the push up, the 10 push ups, the getting out of jail, the beating addiction, the becoming a trainer to be having the felony off my record, writing one book, being voted as a fitness hero, writing two books, writing three, what's next. I'm going to share my story. By the way, I'm the guy who had panic attacks and was scared to ask a girl out when I was in high school. And I'm public speaking, sharing my story to an audience of potentially millions of people on some of these shows. So just remember that where you are isn't going to be where you're going to be. No, it's not the end of your story, right? It's not that like this, this whole chapter where we compare each other's chapter, even as, even subconsciously, even if we're not doing it on purpose, but subconsciously we look at where a person is. And I love that quotes. One of my favorite is don't judge your chapter one by someone else's chapter 20. Like you just can't. Plus, I mean, here's the thing. We are so, so many people just push away having adversity. I don't want it. It's not like it's just if I ignore it, if I push it away, it's not there. But if you really look at the people who have accomplished a lot of the things that most of us look up to in some way, shape or form, they've lived through unbelievable stories, like unbelievable adversity. So adversity is not bad. What would you give for a definition of adversity? What does it mean to you? For me, what's the definition of adversity? Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think my definition of adversity is just any time in your life where you're questioning what's going to, you know, you're questioning things that are going on around you. It's altering maybe your daily habits. Maybe it's altering your, your finances. Maybe it's just, it's altering some part of your life that's making you really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think we have choice, a choice in that, in the discomfort, if we're going to embrace it, right, and use it to our advantage, which is what I like to talk about in my podcast and say, okay, what can I control? What kind of choices can I make in the situation so that I become a better version of myself when I get out of this? And I look back and I'm proud of who I became, not because I made it through perfectly, but because I had courage, because I had grit, because I had resilience and determination to keep my head up and keep going no matter how tough the storm was. Yeah. And I waited for blessings. So many people, when they're in that storm, they don't stand in it enough to wait for the blessings that are going to come. They run. 
They put their umbrella up with drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, money, and saying, save me. No one's saving you. I got to tell you that. I hate to break it to you. No one is going to save you. It would be great if we're in these storms or in these moments of despair and we could press a button and we could have Superman or Batman come and save us, right? (laughs) Or Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman. Okay. (laughs) Right? But it's not reality. There's a reason those things are movies and they're comic books for a reason. It's not real. I say it all the time. No one is coming to save you. Like this is the thing is that a lot of times as humans, we beat ourselves up for where we're at. Like we're yeah. hard on ourselves for where we're at. And one of the, the things that I use regularly is the fact that when we own the choices that got us to where we are here, it doesn't mean we have to blame ourselves. It just means if we want to go somewhere else, we make different choices. Yeah. And I, I think we can't, we can't change the past. We no. can only learn and grow from it and move forward. And I think so many, so many times people struggle with this thing called forgiveness. And I'm not even just talking about forgiveness of others. That's, that's something hard in itself. Talk about forgiveness of yourself. Like that's a big thing, right? Is really forgiving the person you were so that you can become that person that you are and that who you're meant to be. That's why I challenge a lot of people that I coach to write a forgiveness letter to yourself. What are you going to like? Go through this. Go through this. Yeah. Go ahead. Like, what are you really going to forgive yourself for so that you can let that weight off your shoulders so you can start to move forward? So many people, Marsha, are just sitting there trapped. They can't move forward because they have these this weight of resentment toward yeah. and anger and mm-hmm. pity towards themselves. Yep. So I had to let go of the, man, the manipulating people in my family. I had to let go of the lies. I had to let go of the selling the selling drugs and the doing drugs and the being arrested and going to funerals when I was a kid or this all these resentments I had towards the young Doug. I had to let go. <sighs> I re, they're there. I remember because I don't. I always look back and I say I don't ever want to be that person again ever, ever, and. As I, as I was alluding to a few minutes ago, when you're going through moments of adversity, when you own your choices and you take responsibility for yourself, adversity doesn't go away, but you work that muscle. Just like anything else, you have to work your mental and emotional muscles just like you do your physical muscles. The more you go through adversity and you respond in a positive way, the more your body and your brain and everything else is going to get used to the fact that when you hit adversity, it's not going to be so hard. You're not going to experience those you know, crazy sensations. You're not going to freak out nearly as much because now you know like, oh, okay, I can get through this. I'm going to live. I don't have to go into survival mode. I can actually navigate through this. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you're going to get used to going through it. And fortunately for me, a lot of I, I developed – a lot of tools in my tool belt when I was in jail. I had to look at myself head on with everything in my life when I was in jail. You know, 2020 is the year of masks, right? But I'm talking masks before 2020. I was wearing all kinds of masks. The mask of trying to fit in with my friends. The mask of trying to fit in with social media. The mask of doing drugs because I wanted to numb my pain. The mask of eating cheesesteaks and cheeseburgers because I dreaded who I was on the inside. The mask of trying to do what I could to try to get girls to like me. They all came off. And I was stuck with myself in the most naked form of Doug possible in jail. Everything was there for to be seen within myself. 
all the emotions, the resentments, the anger was there. And I had to learn how to deal with it. So if I didn't learn how to deal with it right then and there, I would have ended up in solitary confinement, potentially could have relapsed when I got out, could have gotten into fights, you name it. But thankfully, I had this guy, this unexpected angel come into my life, my cellmate, to got me to start exercising. And when I started working out, I was like, wow, this is great. I can channel some of that negative energy and that negative pain into something positive. When I got stressed out, I learned that I could go for a walk within the common area of the jail. I could go for a run. And you develop, again, you start to develop these muscles that you start to reattach behaviors to your emotions. Mm-hmm. That's one of the hardest things I think for people to do, whether they're struggling with depression, they struggle with anxiety, addiction, is learning to reattach different behaviors to emotions. Because think about it, when people are depressed, you know, one of the things that they're used to doing, the instant behavior, their, their first thing is, you know, maybe I'm going to go spend a bunch of money to feel better. Maybe I'm going to go on social media. Maybe I'm going to take a selfie. Maybe I'm going to go sleep around. I mean, whatever it is, yeah. right? But what if when you're depressed, like you're like, all right, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to go for a walk. Eh, it's not, it doesn't feel as good in the moment, but when I got done, it feels a whole lot better, right? It has the, it has the opposite effect. Whenever you're taking that short-term solution, it ends up causing a long-term problem. So when, if you notice, like whenever you are depressed and you end up, um, going and spending a bunch of money at a store to feel better. It feels good in the moment, but afterwards, you're like, gosh, why'd I do why that? Why'd I do that? The flip that side thing so happens true. when you're when you change it up. So when you go for that walk, you go for that run, you end up not really wanting to do it. Once you do it, you're like, wow, I'm so glad that I did that. Mm-hmm. So what happens? You feel good about yourself and your body starts to crave more of that feeling good. So maybe it started with a 10 minute walk. Now it's becoming a 15 minute walk. Now you're running a, you know, 20 minutes. Sure enough, you're running a 5k and you look back two, three, four, five months from now and you're like, how'd this happen? Cause I started stacking my days with small incremental movements along the way. And it started with just one decision to say, you know what, today I'm actually going to try something new instead of going down this path that takes me to the left where I know I end up addicted to drugs in debt, ruining relationships in jail. I'm going to go to the right. And the right might be a little bit rockier at first, might be a little bit windier. You can't really see much in front of you, but at least I can move forward, right? And then this, and it just, you start to reattach these behaviors, Marsha. And it's second nature that when you get stressed out, when you get anxious, you get depressed, whatever that emotion is, your first, your first thought in your mind isn't, I need to find a drug. It's where can I go meditate? Who can I call right now that I look up to? Where can I catch a run? What can I watch? It's going to make me laugh. You start to rewire your thinking. And I'm only telling you this. I'm no doctor. I've experienced this myself. I really have to the point where now when I am stressed out, I still get stressed. So many people think that, um, that when you take the drugs away, when you take whatever vice you were using, that life just gets easy. No, it gets freaking hard because now you have to truly face the real monster in the mirror. That's yourself. Yes. And address the things that were forcing you to use whatever it was you were using in the first place. And so I, but now what happens is when that goes off inside of me and I get stressed, I get anxious, 2020 happens. It's like, okay, how can I put my shield up? How can I pull the tools out of my tool belt to say, how can I, how, so I can prepare myself to go through whatever I'm going through in a way that I'm not going to regret later. Mm. 
And again, it all starts with owning your choices. Like every day we're faced with choices. I have a choice. If I was going to text you and be like, Marsha, I just, I, I don't feel like hopping on this call with you. I'm going to go eat a cheesesteak. Screw you. I, I could have made that choice. I did. Yep. I had a choice. <laughs> whether I was gonna, well, yeah, I had a choice whether I was going to lift weights today or whether yep. I was just going to sit and watch the news. That was a conscious choice I made. I have a choice when I get done this, if I'm going to blow off my four o'clock client, that's a conscious choice that I, I'm making myself. I have a choice that tonight I'm not going to prepare for my podcast interview that I have to, that's a conscious choice I'm making. The problem is we have no issue making these bad choices, but yet don't want to deal with the consequences that we get, right? We have no issue making these poor choices and then don't want to deal with the consequences yet, we don't want to make the choices that will actually get us the consequences we want. It's so mind-boggling to me. And, it, and it, it's only been mind-boggling to me now where I'm out of the weeds and I can see it logically because before mm-hmm. I was right there with so many people where I would make these choices that I knew I shouldn't be making on a conscious level, but I would continue to make them and continue to make them and continue to make them because I didn't have to believe in myself that I actually could make that other choice that actually would get me somewhere. But I got to tell you, you have the chances, you know, you, you, you're pretty much counting yourself out if you don't step to the right instead of stepping to the left and giving yourself a shot to make some different choices in your life to get you to the place you are, you want to be. Oh, that, and that really wraps up a lot of what you've just, no, it does. It's fantastic. It's fantastic because those conversations are things I will have with myself on a regular basis. Like right now I'm recovering from back surgery. I'm really doing well. I'm happy with where I'm at, but everything's different. I can't train the same way. I can't do the same things. So I can easily go down the pity party line of like, this sucks. (laughs) I can't do it. Or this morning, as I'm having a conversation with myself, it's like, you know what your day looks like. You know, you want to show up as the best version of you. You're going to do what needs to be done and you'll be fine after. I literally get five minutes and I'm like, yeah, I'm good now. It's just, just that's how it happens. Well, it's like, as soon as you start, you get like, they they call it like the runner's high, right? When people Mm -hmm. don't want to run. And then all of a sudden, like a mile in or whatever, half mile in, like wow, I'm starting to feel good because they've gotten the dopamine's kicked in. They're, the euphoric yep. feeling is has has kicked is kicked on, and and then from that, what's but what's even more important is you start to realize, like wow, I'm so glad I'm doing this. I know I should be doing this because mm-hmm. the other choice that you would make, say on the flip side, instead of going for a run, you go and you eat a cheeseburger. You know, within the first few bites, you're resenting and regretting that decision. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is just kind of sit in the discomfort a little bit and just know that a blessing's going to come and that, and that it's not going to get easy, but you're at least going to be comfortable with yourself and the decision you made through that discomfort. Yeah. Right. Versus so seeking good. comfort. When you seek comfort first, you get the discomfort later and then you create even more discomfort in your life based on how you responded. And like the, the last thing I'll say is I really want people to think of adversity as a golf ball. So let's just say you get into a fight with that fight with your spouse, you get into a fight, you know, with a, a loved one, maybe you have a bad day at work, whatever it is, you lose a client, you have a choice and whether you're going to keep that adversity, that golf ball size problem, it'll slowly will shrink based on how you respond. Maybe it's through fitness, through meditating, through journaling, through therapy, whatever it is. Or if you respond by turning to things such as drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, you know, being a victim, feeling sorry for yourself, that golf ball problem that golf ball size problem becomes a bowling ball size problem. And you know what? You may have created even more trouble in your life based on the habits you've developed in response to whatever adversity you were facing. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Absolutely love that. I, 
I can't thank you enough for everything you've shared. I've got a couple quick questions for yeah, you. Yeah. I just, I want to tell everybody that um, I've listened to many of your episodes of the Adversity Advantage podcast and love it. And you've interviewed some great people, which is just, I, you know, that we chat about this. Um, who has been the scariest person you've reached out to that said yes and you've interviewed? Oh, there's been so many. I, I, the, people, the, the people that inter- intimidate me the most are the people that are real sciencey. Because mm-hmm. I didn't do well in science in school, but I just know that these these people who have a science background can share so much insight on mental health, on stress, on addiction, on everything that I'm really getting to the root, the problem that I can really provide Love insight it. to the audience, and that that intimidates me the most because it's, it's way out of my wheelhouse. Like I can, like, you know, I had, I've had people like you know, Grant Car. I've interviewed Grant Cardone. I've interviewed Robert Sharma, Trent Shelton. I mean, I've interviewed tons and tons of people mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I can go back and forth with about sharing a story or motivational type stuff or things on fitness or whatever it is. But when you get into science, I'm like, Whoa, you know, <laughs> next level. I heard yeah. a couple of them and I'm like, God, they're brilliant. Like they're just brilliant. They are. They really yeah. are. And I, I really try to go after the best of the best in that field, not for some ego trip, but I'm like, okay, yeah. I want to be able to use my story and my platform to provide the best value from the smartest people for my audience. Because I know people who are listening to my show are either going through something, have a loved one going through something. It doesn't even have to be addiction. It could be just somebody no. who's struggling to make that next move in their business. Maybe somebody who really needs to make that decision to lose uh, an extra 10 pounds or whatever the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I just, I hope that <clears throat> that my message of continuing to hopefully pay it forward just continues to prosper and inspire people to, to make better decisions in their life. And just know that you're not going to be perfect. Like during this pandemic, have I been perfect? No. I mean, have I gone back to the drugs I was abusing? No, but I'm saying, of course, my mindset has been in the gutter on some days. There's been times where I spent money where I shouldn't have or said things. We're human beings. And I think the moment we can let go of the fact that we're not these, um, I mean, we like to think of ourselves, I think, as these perfect imperfectionists. We're all imperfectionists, but yet we all think we have to be perfect all the time. And we attach some sense of shame and stigma when we're feeling off about ourselves you know, whether we get depressed or stressed or anxious, that, that starts the cycle. Why am I feeling like this? Am I the only one? Well, I'm in, I can't, you, you, you learn not to be able to deal with yourself because you're so concerned that ends up leading to a drink or you getting high or whatever the case may be instead of being like, you know what? I'm a human being. I'm accepting where I'm at. I'm going to give myself maybe an hour, two, three hours, whatever you need. And then I'm going to be proactive and focus on the solution. Like, how can I get out of this state to feel better? What kind of things can I do to make me feel better that are healthy and that align with the person that I want to be? And that's the best decision that you can make. That is absolutely the best decision you can make. Where can people find you? Where, where do you hang out the most? I mean, I'm pretty active on Instagram at Doug Bobst. And then <laughs> my podcast is the adversity advantage, wherever podcasts live. And then DougBopes.com. But yeah, awesome. I mean, so I'll on my website, sure. you can find more of my, about my books or some other interviews that I've done. If people want to dig more into different parts of my story, um, there's some uh, different things on topics I speak on. And yeah, I mean, just, I'm really thankful that you had me on. This is definitely something I enjoy talking about. Choices is something that I've struggled with my whole life. And it wasn't until I really owned my choices mm-hmm. that I got the results in my life that I really wanted. I love that you, I love that you said that. And, and a lot of people have said to me that it's, I'm about choices because it's um, 
how do I say this? Some people that, that if people would make different choices, then different results would happen. To be honest, when I say own your choices, it's my reminder to myself to constantly like take responsibility for what I am or I'm not doing. And yeah. every time I get frustrated, I'm like, wait, Marsha, did you? No, that's no, that was you. You totally did that. That was no one else. That was you. And that's really freeing to actually realize that that's, that's where we can actually take control and create change. There's a tremendous amount of power that comes within us when we know that we are the, the problem of whatever we're facing. We're also the solution that we're able to actually take control of whatever we can in our life and make the choices that coincide with the person we want to be. You know, when you relinquish control of your life or your power onto somebody else, whether it's you expect your family to fix your issues, the government, whoever, you lose. You lose. Because now you just start to become this person that blames everybody else for your problems and you sit there and you play the waiting game and it starts to develop and you know, it starts to bleed into other areas of your life. So maybe in your fitness routine, you know, you're somebody that says, well, I'll just wait until next, you know, next week. I'll just wait until next month. I'll just wait until I have a friend that joins me. I'll just wait until I get into a relationship or whatever it is. Like what, what tends to happen is you're waiting for somebody else to make the decision for you or inspire you. And then it bleeds into your work. So you're like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll wait to show up on time until next week. I'll wait to show up on time until somebody says something. We all, we all have done this, right? All of us. Right? All of us. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or, and then, and then, you know, finally, the one thing you could say is, you know, I'll, I'll wait to have that conversation with my spouse when he, he or she brings it up. I'll wait and I'll wait. And sure enough, three months go down the, go down the road and, something explodes when it could have mm-hmm. been solved with you actually saying something at the beginning and taking control over what you could have in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've loved this conversation. I thank you for being so open and sharing everything with us. There's been so many nuggets of takeaways that people can take this and apply it to their own life. As I've always said, we don't have to walk the same stories to recognize ourselves in other people's journeys because we all, whether it's pain, emotion or whatever, that's what connects us as humans. So I thank you for sharing like you did today. I have one more question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? What lesson in life am I most grateful for? Hmm. I mean, I honestly, I think... I mean, there's a few, but I think the one that would probably stick sticks out to me is the one that that I that I said um, that I've alluded to, I guess, through this conversation is you can be a victor in life, or you can be a victim, but you don't get to do both, right? Like you can mm-hmm. be that person that takes every single circumstance you're in and makes it your, you know what, and yeah. takes control and takes it by the horns and says, you know what. I have no idea where I'm going right now. I have no idea how this is going to pan out. I'm super uncertain. I'm scared, but I'm doing everything I freaking can to make it through. Mm-hmm. Or you can be that person that says, oh my God, I'm scared. Like, um, woe is me. Like, oh my God, can you believe this happening to me? I can't, why is this happening to me? Why? Like, is, is this going to open up? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I, I can't believe this. Like, and then you spiral down that victim cycle and circle and you say, it's his fault. It's their fault. Their fault. And that's the biggest lesson I had to learn. And the only reason I say this is it's not like, again, just to reiterate, it's not like I was born super lucky with, in the sense where I had all this money, I had all this success and never experienced any adversity. I made some super bad choices and played the victim most of my, my life until I was 21. And then I got to jail. And because I didn't take ownership for my own health, for my own self-esteem, my own mental health, my own relationships, and do what I could to control all that, 
-hmm. I was in jail. When I started to control, take control of my choices and how I carried myself, my relationship with my mom healed. I walked my mom down the aisle last year when she got remarried, my brothers and I did. And that didn't come with me forcing her to change. That came with me focusing on my own choices and taking responsibility for my own behaviors when I got out of jail, even though she didn't trust me. And it was, it would have been easy. And it was, because there was times where I was blaming her being like, why don't you trust me? What was me? It's your fault. It's your fault. But I had looked myself in the mirror and checked myself and say, I have two choices. I can do the best that I can with what I have and earn my mom's trust back by my actions and my behaviors and being consistent. Mm-hmm. Or I can continue to blame her, feel sorry for myself and make poor choices that I, the same poor choices that I made back then. And that guaranteed me that my relationship with her wouldn't get better. But I knew that if I at least crept along positively, move forward and changed who I was over time, it gave me a chance for her to come around. And if she didn't come around, that would have been on her. And slowly over the years, she came around. And that's how it is. Again, people like, and this is the last thing I'll say is I think we expect people when we've damaged relationships that all of a sudden when you make that change and all of a sudden, just like that, they're going to trust you again. Like you have to earn trust back. If you've, if you've missed, if you've given somebody a reason to mistrust you for 20 years, mm-hmm. you can't expect it after you making some crazy decision in a, in a few days that they're going to be like, Oh yeah, he's changed. <laughs> It could take time. It doesn't, it doesn't work years, that way. Years, years. And I want I remember one of the biggest pieces of advice my cellmate gave me in jail, among many, was this. And I'll leave your audience with this. As I said, hey man, like how long is it gonna take me to lose weight? Like how long is it gonna take? Because we all want it done here and now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Well, think about how he's like, How long have you been beating up your body? And I'm like, 21 years. He's like, Well, it's gonna take a long time. And that's the thing that people have to remember. When you when you are constantly partaking in bad habits, bad behaviors, bad things every single day over time to rewire your thinking and to start to develop a, a better version of yourself and really change in the right direction. It takes time, it takes patience, it takes consistency, and it takes hard work and it takes gratitude, being grateful for how far you've come and being optimistic about where you're going. Love it. That is like, a perfect thing to end on. Honestly, thank you so much, Doug. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I know you've given the listeners so many nuggets to take away. So thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing your story and with us today. Thanks, Marsha. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.